Sonic State Com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk number 197, vast approaching uh, the 200 mark. And uh, so far, we have a preliminary information that uh, says that Miss Tara Bush will be coming and performing for the 200th show. So that should be fun. We're going to go into a studio and do it in a kind of room with multiple cameras, and it's all going to be fancy. And uh, when I feel confident enough of, uh, today, I will... Uh, I'll start promoting it heavily, <laughs> but that's on December the 8th. That will be the Wednesday. But anyway, welcome, everybody. Welcome to all the chatties. Um, I'm sorry about the uh, the chat room. The chat room seems to be a bit funny at the moment. It's uh, Ustream servers are kind of putting delays on various different people's conversations. I joked that um, perhaps they would uh, they were manually approving all the, uh, all the input and also answering the phone at the same time, but... Um, that might actually be true by the looks of things. So um, apologies to all our live uh, listeners, streamers and uh, attempted chatties. But uh, anyway, I think the chat is showing up in the, the video down there. But anyway, hello and welcome to all my live guests. I'd like to say hello first to uh, uh, Richard Hilton from Connecticut. How are you, Richard? Very well, thank you. And you? I'm good, yes. I'm wrestling with a slightly more complicated technical setup as I just, I, I can't seem to not do, not... Um, complicate things it just seems to be as i you know i don't know why i just can't help myself so anyway so today i've got more cameras i've also got a, an ipad um vga out because i uh oh, nice. i i wiped out my uh I, I jailbroke my ipad so that i could have uh, a mirror the vga out i got the vga out kit so now i can actually send i'll quickly show you i can actually send the um the korg which i've got let me see if i can find out how to do it yeah, here we go. There's the output of the um, Korg. Cool. And I, and I can... Did that. That's very nice. So it means that I can show, uh, if I wish, I can show, you know, live application output, which is kind of cool, isn't it? I've also got... <laughs> I haven't finished yet. I've also got, if I can remember which one the camera is, uh, I've got my HD camera plugged in over there. So that's also coming into the show because uh, I want to make sure this is all going to work for Tara Bush's uh, forthcoming appearance. So um, now, flip back to the normal view. Sorry for all that uh, discombobulation. But anyway, welcome, Rich. Um, have you had a good week? Yeah, very good. Uh, today was a little complicated by the fact that we had incredible rain and wind uh, just before dawn. And we awoke to a house with no power for about four hours. Ooh. Wow, I so hope there's no damage to trees and the like. But uh, Well, there was, and that's what caused the power outage. And it was lo I was able to get on with the iPad and verify that it was just local. It was uh, just a couple of hundred houses around this area. Wow. So uh, they got it fixed, and we're on. Yeah, well, dramatic weather here too. But anyway, um, thanks for joining us. Um, and also, I'll come back over here because uh, we've also got Mr. Gaz Williams, uh, who I believe is in the back of a car. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I am. I'm sitting in the back of my car, just having completed a quite a, a fun little session with a bunch of uh, school children. So that's uh, so I'm actually in the car in a school car park. So I'm hoping I'm not looking too dodgy, sort of uh, crouched <laughs> over my laptop. Um, I got news for you, actually. I think um, I hear a siren in the background. <laughs> so, so how are you getting online then? Are you getting online via three G? I'm using like a dongle on my laptop. Uh, wow. So just uh, like an internet dongle. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty awesome. So, I yeah. don't think I've ever done that mobile, mobily. That sounds brilliant. Pushing the yeah, boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> are you sure? Wait a minute. Are you sure you're not just using one of those AudioEase um, space emulations <laughs> that's that, the, a Citroen, the Citroen back of the car, and you're actually sitting at home? The Dave, the Dave Robinson oh. setting. That's right. If you're any, you, you, you probably don't know the story, Gaz. In fact, um, the AudioEase guys used um, Dave Robinson's phone in over Skype voice because um, he always uses a telephone. He hasn't got uh, together to get a mic system set up. And they've created an algorithm for Ultraverb that is based on the oh. sound of, of what he sounds like coming down Skype and, uh, and uh, um, you know, a, a regular telephone. So you never know. Oh, right. They obviously oh, listen sometimes. Yeah. So you, you might get modelled. Yeah, well, I might have to take an impulse of this car because I, uh, I am going to use it on a few other jobs as a, a control room for a studio. Um, 
so I've got like an inverter uh, for the power supply and uh, so I might need to take like an impulse of it because we're going to record the vocals in here so uh, <laughs> I'm really liking the sound I'm like I'm I'm liking the idea that you are uh, in a car on a USB um, data dongle doing the show that's just yeah. awesome <laughs> anyway that other voice you cool. ha- well no that other voice you haven't heard yet is uh, Dave Spear well, I should introduce yeah, Gaz of course um, well record producer busy record producer up to Christmas and of course I should say Rich Hilton as well of course uh, uh, busy studio guy works out of Le Crib which is Nile Rogers' own personal studio and we'll come back um, to uh, Dave Spears who's not in a car are you? You're, you're in the garage is that any is that sort of the car theme we'll hold that I'll term it more as a man shed a man shed okay fair enough it has got a, <laughs> it's an ex-garage yeah <laughs> Anyway, um, well, um, welcome to you, g4software.com. Thank you. I've just had a message from Mark who said he can't see you ah. online. Oh, he's coming in too, is he? Excellent. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm all right. We're I'm live. Well. I, I may as well introduce you now because I've just introduced Dave Spears. Uh, Mark Tinley, um, star of Movember. How's that moustache going on? Get it off my face! Oh now. dear, starting to irritate. <laughs> anyway, um, you can see, uh, you can you can watch Mark's progress at uh, likebeing.com. Uh, I think he's got his URL mapping there. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Welcome to you, Mark. Of course, uh, sound artist and uh, creative thinker, and just general man about town and uh, motorbike enthusiast as well. Um, Dave, how did the uh, GeForce thing go then? I guess the offer's over. So if you didn't get your chance to buy the uh, Imposco, it's done now, isn't it? Or is it, is it still running a little oh. bit longer? Like still running. Oh, still until running. Sunday, I believe. Oh, right. I should plug it then because uh, we got a coupon, haven't we? Um, go and get the Imposca for thirty nine euros, and then you'll get a discount based on uh, when when the Imposca two comes out. Enter the code the underscore imp underscore. Oh God, I can't remember the underscore Sonic. It. Yeah, I haven't got it. I'm not prepared. <laughs> I forgot. I thought it had run out. Anyway, I'll put it in the chat room at some point, but I'll put it in, in the show notes. Make it easier next time. Yeah, I can't remember what. The, <laughs> and it's all caps. And it's yes. And anyway, welcome everybody. Um, I'm guessing we should probably um, we should probably begin because we've got a, a number of things to look at. Let's start with. Um, uh, well, I, I'm going to have to set it up now. Actually, hold on. Here we are. Check this out. I think it's the future of of making music. I just swear by it. Oh man, I, I've gone through a ton of gear over the years, but I think it's dope that it's come down to this, and it kind of does everything the NPC, you know, does, but faster. And I really love just the way the clock uh, for my programming and drums is probably the tightest thing uh, since I was on a physical drum machine. I don't have to stare at the computer. I can stay focused on the on the instrument. It's an instrument. Now that I got a machine, I've had to retire my MPC. Right, well, that was um, the promo. That was various hip-hop producers uh, who were extolling the virtues of the Native Instruments machine, um, which is the kind of MPC kind of alike, but it's sort of a hardware component in terms of controller and software component. But this, the, the, the big news was really that this is actually... Uh, in version 1.6, which is going to be in beta in January and out in a couple of months afterwards, so early days, yeah, is going to t- uh, allow you to pl- um, run external AUs and VST plugs and what have you from within the Beats production environment, which is kind of sounding like quite a nice concept because obviously what this seems to have done is it really does t- t- has taken people who are really into the MPC kind of thing in the studio, but were limited by you know the sample rate and the sample time and all of that sort of thing, and just followed on pretty nicely from their workflow by the sound of things so they're obviously um getting a big hit there it's kind of reminding me a little bit of um vienna symphonic library pro which is where they actually you can do the same sort of thing but for beats anybody use machine here any had a look at machine yeah i have done i got it for some friends and they used it and it was weird, actually. I spent, oh, I don't know, probably sort of three or four hours with it, and I couldn't find a way of importing a MIDI file. Oh, really? So I hope if if I hadn't, if I missed that, then I apologise. But if I didn't miss it and it wasn't there, 
I hope it's fixed in this issue. But this looks good. Looks good. I like the idea of running AUs in this. It's got a, a nice idea, hasn't it? Mm. I mean, so that means you'll be able to run your very own products <laughs> in there, for Which instance. Which why I like it. Yeah. Well, why ever not? <laughs> why ever not? Um, what about you, Gaz? Are you a kind of Beats NPC kind of guy? Is this something that you, you've looked at? Ooh. Um, no, I haven't tried. I've, well, I've had a little go on one. Um, I tend to use Ableton Live in the session view for and using the uh, the uh, the drum racks and stuff in Ableton, and that seems to satisfy me in that department. But uh, it does look quite nice. Although, as I said last week, I tend to find native instrument stuff just uh, quite complicated and a little bit daunting at first. I'm sure once we get into it, they're, they're fantastic. But uh, it looks like you need to invest some time to get the most out of it. Yeah, I'm um, guessing so. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, uh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, uh, Flux302 in the chat room says he uh, uses a machine every day. He's a beta tester, uh, and he loves it, loves it, loves it. So there's some, some real, uh, uh, well, real input for us. Um, Rich, you had uh, any exposure to the, uh, the machine? I've not. I'm other than to be in the same room as it and see it being <laughs> operated. Um, so no, I have no direct, uh, shall we say, hands-on experience did, with this thing. I did shoot something at uh, Nam. I was taken to a quiet um, hotel room last year, or early, beginning of this year, and it looked really, really cool. And they've obviously just taken. I mean, what's brilliant is you know, there's everybody's kind of went. There was a whole phase of MPC alike, and it's just they've taken the interface and seem to have run with it and taken it to a logical conclusion. I don't know, Mark. You're you're not really an MPC guy, but um, does does this appeal? Um. No, I'm not. I have been in the past. I liked the MPC-60 many, many years ago. Um, I quite, I liked the idea of, I liked the idea of the pads. So I suppose taking the pads away and putting it on a computer screen is kind of weird. I mean, I like all step time things anyway. I like anything that's on a grid, and I like anything that I can just paste um, notes or beats onto a grid with. So I guess I'd probably get on with it, but I haven't actually used it because. I tend to spend most of my life in that mode of operation inside Fruity Loops or Fruity Pro, right, or I whatever got it's called now. Um, uh, Flux302 in the chat room adds, uh, the good thing on machine is that instead of constantly clicking and moving slices around on the door, you can do it from the controller, just like you would on an MPC, but you've got the depth of a door. And that sounds kind of interesting. And I'm guessing I've seen from the stuff that I saw, it looked like you can take a loop and each pad can trigger a part of the loop so that they've sort of there's a bit of cross breeding cross pollination between that and the uh the s4 and that that kind of whole tractor kind of world is it is it audio is it audio outputs on it or you got me i don't actually know whether there is i think it's got audio interface potential but i would have to uh defer to somebody who'd done more research than me <laughs> i can tell you how much it is <laughs> if i'm not mistaken it isn't actually hosting any audio at all within the actual physical controller so right that would lead yeah. me to believe that the answer is no but i'm guessing it's, here that, I, I thought that was the case and that seems to be a bit odd doesn't it? it just means you know it's not like a one-stop solution you know that you have to have an audio interface as well so it just seems a bit odd to be offering all of this but not that very basic function so yeah I don't, I don't know whether it's got a usb audio component to it i think we'd have to yeah the machine has no audio interface on it flux 302 mm. is clarified so yeah okay yeah but I'm guessing, really, most of us are, are working in the software realm anyway. So, I mean, to have that con massive expandability and that would be would be limiting to work to just hardware because then you'd have to sort of upgrade it and put more RAM in it and flash it and all that uh, sort of stuff. Well, it just means uh, when you're using it, you, it means you can't just have your laptop and the machine. You have to have the laptop machine and an audio interface as well. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, I suppose so. Un yeah, unless you're willing to use the laptop as the audio interface. That's correct. It's been done, and it is done. Five nine nine UK pounds uh, is the list price. I think I've seen it for like a hundred quid cheaper. So it's it could be something well worth looking at if you're into MPC style beat making, because it looks like it's going to be an expanding system. There are going to be a numerous other um, tweaks and additions in one point six as well. So Dave, maybe your uh, your wish will be will come true as well. 
Hmm. Right, let me see. Now I've got to figure out how to do the next one. I think I've got it. So our next topic is... We print documents and photos from our computers daily. Most of us in the developed world effectively run a home printing press and a home photographic lab, courtesy of this technology. Suppose you could plug a 3D printer into your computer. This 3D printer makes solid, strong, plastic goods from designs that you've created yourself or that you have downloaded from the web. You could make lots of useful stuff that, at the moment, you have to buy. In effect, you would be running your own factory alongside your printing press and your photographic lab. There's nothing new about 3D printers. They have been around for almost 30 years, but all the commercial ones are very expensive. They typically cost about 20,000 euros. This is the RepRap 3D printer working. You can make it yourself, and doing that will only cost you around 500 euros. What's more, following the principles of the free software movement, the designs for the RepRap machine are being distributed to everyone free under the GNU General Public License. And here is the really clever bit. Those designs include all the plastic parts for the RepRap machine itself. So, if you have a RepRap machine, you can print a new one for a friend. RepRap was thought up by Adrian Boya at Bath University. I like that. I, I like the idea. The rat printer. Oh, by stop it! A biomimetic analogy. Hold on. That is to say, it's all gone wrong. Analogy taking. <laughs> I haven't got the hang of this yet. Can you tell? There we are. <laughs> that was um, the reason this came up. Actually, was uh, Andy in the office sort of mentioned it, and it, they're, they're actually from Bath University, uh, which is just up the road from us because we're in Bath as well. And uh, I just really like the idea of um, of something that can make itself. And also, you know, we've heard about 3D printers at all. This is very off-topic music tech, but I just, because it was up the road and I just like the idea of it. Um, this is, because it can make itself, there's something sort of, sort of quite neat about it. And the, the chap who, go, who, who uh, invented it, uh, Adrian Bauer, uh, Boya, um, said that he was also, you know, part of his, his idea was, was down to the fact that uh, sort of the insects, insects can self-replicate. Um, which was I just kind of like the uh, like the whole concept of this, but um, I guess the thing was is really a um, what would you make with it? We we're trying to desperately trying to think of whether we could get it to make something musical, so we could go up and film it and have it kind of <laughs> just just so that we could go and have a look at it, basically. Gaz, well, uh, first thing springs to mind is it can make those little annoying plastic bits that you lose off all your other pieces of kit, like uh, <laughs> fader caps and stuff like that. Um, Ooh, interesting though. That's a, uh, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, that is yeah. a great idea. All the little bits that fall off everything else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm the, a yes, bit the, stumped on that one. They do say that it could be used for prototyping, or whatever. But the idea is, is to make it sort of open source, that you can because you can make your own DXFs, which are kind of description files for three D objects in sort of Google SketchUp, which is a free bit of software. So the idea that this stuff could you could make things that that you not that you want or you need or you can't get anywhere else it's just a great idea i know rich have you got any uh, got any applications you could consider for something like this nothing springs to mind <laughs> and yet i think it's a fascinating concept <laughs> of having a device that can regenerate itself yes it's like a worm isn't it sort of asexual printer that just kind of makes itself <laughs> No, I can tell you a bit. I, I can tell you a bit more about it. Um, it makes. I think it's about nine. It makes fifteen cubic centimeters per hour solid. So that's kind of. I guess that's a, a pretty big square, probably about the size of a pair of, a, a Genelec ten twenty nine A, and the materials um, twenty two euros a kilogram for the plastic stuff, uh, HDPE, which I don't know what that is. Eleven eleven uh, euros a kilogram. Um, and it costs 400 uh, euros to make. But if you want, you can get it pre-built from a place called botmill.com for 1500 bucks. Almost worth it. But there, I don't know what, whether you get printer drivers and stuff. Uh, Dave, you've got lots of analog gear. Would you want it, you want it to, maybe it could make um, replicated you know, keys that have snapped off mini-moogs and that sort of thing. Oh, definitely. I mean, Gaz's idea of, you know, the buttons and things like that. I mean, I've got buttons missing. I've got... So I took my Oscar down to get it fixed, and it came back minus a button. So it's like... Ah. And getting one of those is just, like, almost impossible. Have you checked down the back of the seats in the car and stuff, just in case it fell off in the <laughs> in transport? I think it's somewhere in Mr. Perry's workshop. Oh. <laughs> right. So, yes, I'd do that. I'd make uh, a few spares of those, definitely. 
and great like say for mocking up you know mocking up ideas product ideas and stuff like that oh yeah that could be fantastic yeah. could be fantastic mark you're a kind of um fabricator i, I suspect that this might have a great appeal to you um i actually thought we'd done this topic before for some reason but i've been totally obsessed with this thing for a while and was thinking about buying one and had researched uh, everything that there was to research about it and then I met um, this engineer chap here in Biggleswade who makes things for me out of metal um, but I absolutely love the idea of it I love the idea of being able to draw something and then print it out in 3D and of course if you can make it in plastic you can sand cast it in metal oh I see so right it, pretty much means that you could make anything for anything really you could you could you could uh prototype stuff that you could then turn into metal things and then um i, I don't know i can make parts from my bike with it you know <laughs> i mean all those bits that you just can't get anymore you just make all of that sort of stuff with it so i, I love it i think it's brilliant it's a great idea isn't it I, like i say i'm desperately trying to think if anyone can think of a really good musical angle that we could go up with i mean i thought of something basic well, like you know how about ex- a kazoo a kazoo <laughs> yeah it's hollow i guess you'd have to make it in two halves and glue it together I was thinking about expensive kazoo. <laughs> yeah, it would be. But presumably, it can print. Can it not print the the? Um, maybe it can't print the gap in between, right? I don't know. I'm not sure. I guess it would have to do I... it kind of on end, wouldn't it? Yes. You see what I mean? So I'm looking for an idea. I'm, I did. We did think, you know, we could make maybe a Sonic State logo and extrude it, and it would look like one of those kind of uh, Ardman uh, prototype things. But that was, seemed a bit dull. It wouldn't make a noise. So I think th- anyone can think of a, a, something we could go up there and make that obviously didn't cost a million pounds in uh, in in materials. Then it would give us a, 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 a an angle to tag the story on, and we get to go and hang around in the laboratory and see what they were up to. <laughs> I mean, How theoretically, you could make a, a guitar neck, couldn't you? theoretically possibly i think it might be too big for that sorry rich what were you saying well various percussive things like temple blocks you know things that would work in plastic Mm. that have been already sort of morphed out of wooden previously wooden devices that are often used in various forms of plastic these days yeah that's you could make a plastic slit drum oh yeah yeah tongue drum maybe yeah right the uh, microphone cradles for expensive mics, says uh, Brad Duke in the uh, in the chat room. You could make um, how about dummy TV three hundred threes? Ah, yeah, like little little, and then you can, little tiny miniaturised people. Oh, no, that's There's a controllers cool. for rebirth. What about TB three hundred three book covers? You could make a Sonic State book with a cover that looked like a TB three hundred three on the front. When you opened it up, it was like a it would be like a diary inside. How about one of those? Hmm, okay. Oh. The ju- I can see the sense <laughs> the juices are flowing now. <laughs> Interesting. But I like the idea of having one, even though I probably would never use it. It does seem like a reasonable... Something, something they can print in three dimensions for 1,500 bucks made, or 400 euros if you've got the wherewithal to make it, which I probably would... Yeah, synth fridge magnet, says Analog Boy. That's the stuff! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah! I love it. With actual working keys. <laughs> <laughs> and little and little modeled synths inside them with working filters. Yeah, that'd be great. Maybe we could make sort of um, microchips out of out of um, oh yeah, out of resin or something. Yeah, fantastic. Long lost Lego so, parts. <laughs> maybe you could make um, TB three hundred three iPhone covers that you just click your iPhone inside, and then you can access the software by kind of putting your finger through a hole to get to the, the, the you know, to the touch screen. Template. The, 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 we, have, we have an embarrassment of ideas. Fantastic. All really oh, good stuff. I've, I've just thought of one as well now. Um, I've been thinking along the lines of uh, buying a bunch of Korg Monotrons and uh, maybe making a custom case where you can make a little poly, poly synth uh, out of eight Monotrons. And, uh, okay, uh, I was I was really stumped about how you could actually make the kind of uh, the casing for it. So, uh. 
Well, it's interesting. I mean, if, if you're going to make a monotron, a polymonotron, as it were, um, you'd wa- you'd probably want a keyboard that was that fed each individual voice. So it'd be a bit like um, like a uh, an Oberheim eight voice. <laughs> you have to tune each one separately, and that that would be a nice idea. You get some, you get some very wide and drifty chords going on, I think. But nice. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, anyway, uh, something to work on, um, the rep rap. And uh, we're going to work on, maybe we'll tr- get in touch with them and see if we can go up and talk to uh, Mr. Adrian Bowyer and um, see if we can make, get him to make us something synthy. Um, but, uh, yes, we'll have to see. So, anyway, um, that, uh, that probably brings us, it's a good time to introduce our show sponsor. And we want to say thank you very much to Yamaha for the continued sponsorship of the show. Of course, we do value their involvement, and uh, it's one of the things that keeps us going, or certainly me going. Anyway, um, I, everybody else does it for nothing, and they're very, very appreciative of their time as well. But we want to tell you about the HS monitors. These are designed to be kind of true reference monitors, like the legendary NS10M. They're active. There's the HS50, which uh, is a 5-inch driver and 70 watts, and the HS70, which is an 8-inch driver and 120 watts. And Basically, it's pretty impossible to appreciate studio monitors through a podcast or, you know, a video or whatever. Uh, so what they're trying to encourage people to do is get down to a store near, near you, uh, take your CD or audio source and ask to listen to the HS series. Both of the models, along with uh, the other Yamaha studio monitors, the MSP series, can be auditioned at several key Yamaha stores in the UK. And I'm guessing that's the same for the US too. For a full dealer listing, visit yamahadownload.com and check out the Pulse stores. Uh, the Pulse stores are kind of like stores within stores they're like little kind of yamaha oases in the larger music stores uh, around the uk uh, um and so yes we just uh, want to say thank you very much and do check them out in, in fact a couple of factoids uh the hs monitors are actually now more successful than the original ns10 m's which kind of seems sort of strange somehow but i'm guessing there are more people in studios buying them so that's what they're getting and obviously you know it's the same old adage if your mix sounds good on these it'll sound good anyway that's because these are studio monitors rather than just sort of flattering loudspeakers they're designed not to flatter the sound in any way so you've got to work hard to get the sound right but when you do it it's going to sound pretty good everywhere else. That's the, that's the kind of concept. But anyway, um, thanks once again to Yamaha. And while you're at it, um, please head over to yamahadownload.com. And there's a lot of great articles and interesting facts about the new Yamaha gear and people, artists using Yamaha gear in very interesting ways. And we want to say thanks once again to Yamaha for the continued sponsorship of the show. Right, um, let's have a look. Oh, this was a bit sad, and I can't say that uh, I wasn't surprised, but uh, the news that Lemur, the jazz mutant, uh, I guess the original music multi-touch screen uh, system, is to be no more. Um, they cease to exist on January the 1st next year, and the product will not be continued. Uh, technical support ends the end of 2011, uh, Lima is the la- 2.03 is the final, last and final version of the firmware and there won't be any further updates for the Dexter app. I think I reviewed the Dexter app and I really quite enjoyed uh, that and that I thought it was actually pretty good but obviously the the, the iPad has kind of swept all before it. Um, I guess we saw it coming. It's a shame they didn't maybe get an iPad application out because the, that might have kept the brand going. I don't know. Um, did anyone try to Lima? Gaz, you seem the sort of guy who might have uh, got your hands on one and thought, this could be good for me. Yeah, I was really excited about them. I thought it was really good. I mean, it was just a bit too expensive, you know, and uh, uh, really liked, really liked them. Um, and then when I first saw about the iPad, it was the first thing I thought. I thought, well, you know, this is just like a I, I had no idea how Lima how it was going to compete, and yes, yeah, so it's quite sad, isn't it? But uh, I'm sure the software has still got a value, though. I'm sure it could be ported. Um, cause, well, cause well there's perhaps, a lot. Of- yeah, perhaps they could. I mean, they are. I think the company who now own it uh, are actually going to keep developing the software side of things because it's got applications in kind of industrial. Mm-hmm. manufacturer and so i don't know exactly what it is i mean that's why they're mm-hmm. not kind of going to open source it and let everybody carry on because they want to mm-hmm. continue working on the the core technology that got it to work right yeah so i mean uh, is it touch osk on the the ipad which is quite similar yes i have i haven't of... got the t- uh, that does this signal anything wider i mean are we seeing gonna gonna see basically you know this tablet PC business just sort of wiping out all of this specialist stuff? I don't know. I mean, I saw something this morning that I thought was quite interesting in that somebody had put uh, 
that the Lima guys were no longer around. And then somebody else posted saying that actually the company now supplies to the military and all the other main non-Apple touchscreen mobile phone giants. Ka-ching. They're selling them off for basically, I think it's about 1,500 euros, and they're originally 2,000 euros. So it doesn't seem like there's perhaps enough of a discount to kind of make you jump. But um, no. I guess they don't care. You can buy up to five, apparently. I just went and tried to buy one to see how much it would cost, and uh, um, I could have bought five. So I don't know how many they've got left. Maybe they've only got five left. But I did enjoy it. I mean, it's it was a great app, but yes, it was hard to justify at the price. Even, I mean, especially so after the uh, after the iPad came in. I don't know, Rich. Did you ever get a chance to play with any of the Jazz Mutant Lima stuff? No, I have not seen that. Okay. It, um, do you need a description? Do you know what it is? Well, I got no. I got a sense of it. I, I you know, I actually did my homework this week. No, and I'd seen it before, <laughs> and I was aware of it, and. Uh, the thing is, and it's an interesting sort of industry phenomenon, we've now had a resurgence of the original synth guys on some level. I mean, Bukla's always been here, but Moog kind of went away, and then Moog came back. And then, uh, you know, Oberheim has, you know, put together a synthesizer in the last couple of years, and Dave Smith is back. And there's a, there's a nostalgia, and there's a justification for it, and you can recycle those things as ideas. But the early adopter controller guys... Those things, I, I just don't imagine that there's going to be that kind of romantic resurgence except in the same sort of nostalgic sense that people go to museums to see old Nickelodeons and mechanical musical instruments. Right. In other words, more as a curiosity, not as a functional revival thing of, you know, you remember the old days when we used to have to, you know, wire up our own damn MIDI control? And, and like, I don't think that kind of romance is going to come back around with these controller devices. And it's a shame because these guys, pay, you know, plowed, you know, oh, God. Uh, say, macheted their way through the thatch. Yeah. You know, and pave the way for other people who will improve on their ideas and have much better funding and find a major corporate sponsor, et cetera, et cetera. And we're seeing the fruits of that all around us now with the with the prevalence of these hardware controllers. Now, whether, you know, an, a, an Akai APC-40 is going to be useful to us 10 years from now or not, or whether that's also going to fall into that same kind of hole is another issue. But the fact that these things don't make a noise – um, kind of limits their long-term viability in terms of that development curve. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's my observation. Well, that's my I, pithy observation. Uh, no, but it, it is interesting. <laughs> I, I mean, I was talking to a chap that I did some teching for quite recently, and we tried out various different controllers. And one of the things that he just wants is to be able to kind of have a control surface that's not Huey-based, so that he can just kind of go right. This fader is always, you know, the string output. This fader is always this, this and just assign them on the fly, so he can have like a bank of sixteen, say, and just go right. That's that's. I know those sixteen are my orchestra. I flip to another layer. I can make those my drums and it just rather than actually banking about and move letting the software dictate where you know your channels are because the thing about that you know that system is you flip and then you're not actually sure which fader you are supposed to be touching it might be fader one depending on where you are in your track listing or fader seven do you see what i mean and that that is really complicated and difficult to learn and i, I was wondering whether anybody knew of a, a controller system or translation layer that would allow you to do that so if, effectively you grab a physical fader and say i want to attach it to this channel right now and it, uh, it being a relatively straightforward process i would imagine that the euphonics protocol that is being incorporated into the new pro tools release would include that kind of functionality but i'm imagining it i don't know that for sure well, haven't been around the euphonic stuff that we much tried. Lately, we tried the euphonic stuff, uh, and it, it was. It, I mean, although it was it was more than uh, than Huey and uh, Mackie control kind of protocol, it still had the same kind of principle, which was banking and moving around in those kind of chunks, which made it quite hard to set up any kind of. Well, um, no, I say for example, within Pro Tools, you can use locate memory locators rather than as positioning markers. As screen, basically sort of the views. rough equivalent of screen sets and logic, except you're not opening multiple screens. But arrangements of tracks together with their heights preset and their zoom rates and all of that sort of thing. So you can just – you can save a memory, lo memory location that's my strings. 
And then when you click on that memory location, the whatever bottom eight, 16 or whatever, that's the only thing that's left on the screen. And so your controller automatically would conform to that uh, right now, whether it's a Huey or a Euphonics. That but, is a good point. I don't think you can do it in Logic, though. I don't see any kind of functionality like that in Logic, but maybe I, I don't know Logic as well. Nah, maybe that's the trick. Hmm. Uh, Ableton Live is good for that. Though, isn't it just click it into midi map mode and just yeah. sort of uh, just wiggle wiggle your controller assign it to your to your, to your fader because uh, i've got the uh, right. i've got a novation thing uh, uh remote sl thing and uh it's got all this automatic functionality but i actually prefer using it just in that just basic midi mode i just you know you, mm-hmm. you click midi map everything sort of has like a blue overlay and then you just wiggle oh yeah the yeah. controller you know and it's yeah. i like, I like it, that but then you have to do it every time you Ah, well, what you can do, though, you can just save that as a template once you've done it once, and ah, then every okay. time you create a new project, it will be set up exactly like that. But what if you go back to a project that you've you've gone one, down one road, and then you were... So, <laughs> you see what I mean? That is all of that stuff, yeah, and that, yeah, yeah. that is yeah, what yeah. makes it a pain, you know? So you'd be working on one version, and go, oh, I'll take, I'll tweak, I'll tweak, then you go, I want to go back to this one, and it's got mm. none of that. And it's like... Mm. But isn't that why you can import environments in Logic? Yes, I suppose just, so. But you I just suppose bring so. the environment from the earlier song into the, your later song. Or yeah, well, you can do that now, but you can't. You can't set views of groups of tracks. I don't think. But maybe I'm views. Yeah, maybe you do it with folders or something. But I don't know. The folders you are sort of can. Yeah, I mean, I remember the Pro Control thing, the Pro Twenty Four big yeah. controller for the Pro Tool system. Um, you could sort of do that in there, and you just drag the tracks around in, uh, in the Pro Tools window and choose which order they are in the Pro Tools window, and then they come up as those faders on the desk. But and then the name of the fader is at the top of it anyway. But and it yeah. sort of works, sort of does what you want to do. That's, I know what you're saying. You that's want, kind of you yeah. So he wants to be able to just world. go right. I just want the strings. I just want to look at the strings, or I, just, I you know I know that fader one is always you know my bass drum or whatever. I don't want it to be. Oh no, my bass drum's now at the other end of my desk because I'm sort of I'm I'm selecting a track that's within midway through a block of eight. It's just like what? Uh, if you were selecting well, midway through a block of eight, it would keep the block of eight. But I think there was 24 faders. So when you get onto 48 tracks, it just goes onto track 49 to whatever it is. Yeah. Onwards. Maybe that's it. Yep. As it, right. And, and as I said, you can write memory locators that store arrangements of tracks in any well, that's way great. you like. That's great. Unfortunately, we can't do that with the with Logic, which is his preferred um, weapon of choice. Curses. Oh. Well, we'll still search. And you, anyway. can't, you also can't do it in Ableton, although you can do a lot of other very cool things that Gaz pointed out. You can't be selectively showing and hiding tracks by groups in Ableton either like that. No, that's true. Even when they're, whether they're playing or not and all that, you know, whereas Pro Tools does allow you to do that. And God knows we were begging Steinberg to do this with Cubase in 1995, and they still haven't done it, so... <laughs> To heck with them. What can I say? <laughs> um, but um, that is that was the. Um, oh, where did we get to from there? I think oh, we were talking about jazz mutant. Well, goodbye Lima. But I'm glad to say, Dave, that you were saying that they've they've licensed that proprietary technology elsewhere, so they're gonna you know make make a return on it. That's great news because I just had this awful feeling that it was just they were gonna trudge off, you know, lock the doors to the office and trudge off, um, just feeling embittered that the iPad had wiped them off the face of the map. But it doesn't sound like that that's the case. So that's great news. For them, of course. Um, did I ask you, Dave, if you've uh, if you played with it, or do you know that thing? Whether there's anything you can do with Logic that allows you to do that in that way? I don't know. I did play with it very briefly. I think it was a messer. I played with it, and there, there was some latency that kind of did yeah. drive me a little bit up the wall. There is that. Um, but I see. This is why I like dedicated controllers. Well, yeah, if you get one built for, you know, a single one-off synth, that's great. But Yeah, yeah, and why I like old analogue knobby synths. Yes, well, I, un- I totally understand that. Yeah, I agree. I'm just a simple guy with simple taste. Yeah, but, uh, and, and, a dif- and an ever-diminishing um, workspace to put all of those synths in, you see. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 you yeah. need a huge workspace for all of that stuff. I love analog synths, and I'd love to have a house full of them, but it works a lot better to have it on the screen on the computer in the space that I've got to write music in. Yeah. 
Unless I, you want to move to Maine next to Vince Clark. Yeah. We'll have the woodshed. Right. <laughs> then you just get fit running from one end of the room to the other one. Yeah. Well, you get very, you oil the wheels very well on your uh, Herman Miller and you can sort of push off from one desk. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm trying to do now, except that I, I, this is being an old Georgian building, it's actually uphill, so I don't go very far. <laughs> and, I've, <laughs> and I've run over my, car, my, my jacket, which is holding we me ha- back. We have, that, we have that at La Crib, too, where it's pitched in one direction and everybody starts rolling towards the door. <laughs> they, all, they all gravitate towards the bass drum channel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. There, there's your solution for that guy. <laughs> Angle the floor. Angle the floor, yeah. That, that's, <laughs> or maybe just have it sort of so it continues. Don't actually forget about the controller. Just get some kind of pivoting device that takes you to the right end of the desk. Yeah, that would be cheaper, surely. You'll have um, to um, – and for the, live, for the live thing, you'll have to get onto Marley and get them to do some angled um, Marley for the stage so that at one end of the stage you've got like uh, a thicker – Marley than at the other, so that you roll across the stage when you're on the stage, angle towards that side of the stage, right? Ah, the rake. Too far, haven't I? I think so. I, you've lost me there, Mark, but I, I, I'm sure well, it makes sense somewhere or other. When, when I saw Mamma Mia on Broadway, that wasn't the rake stage. That was like a ski jump. That was the most – I couldn't believe the angle that those people were working at. It must hurt your ankles. You must have got a bad back if you're the main character on that sort of thing. I'm serious. It had to be 15 degrees. It was up there. It was really – it was amazing. I couldn't believe it. I've got a friend – actually, I've got a friend who's the lead – who's playing one of the lead roles in Mamma Mia, and he oh. broke his arm recently. I oh, he just fell over. <laughs> <laughs> he slipped on some poorly applied gaffer tape market. And rolled into the audience. <laughs> yeah. Ah! Landed in the orchestra pit. Jesus. Oh, <laughs> oh well, anyway um well um, i've got something else to play i'm going to have another attempt at playing a movie now um so just just bear with me well Alvin, it, you can't you can't touch it don't even look at it <laughs> I'll stop there. But that was Keith Emerson um, explaining, for some indescribable reason, I'm not sure why, he was just describing his uh, Moog 55 to the audience of the assembled... Um, the assembled audios. I don't know why. Uh, there's no explanation as to what that was, but it does rather introduce the next story, which came via Dave, which was Final Matrix Synth, which was uh, apparently uh, the, the an LA trader is selling uh, Keith Emerson's spare 55 modular. And when I looked last week, we were going to try and get it in. Um, it was only at 15 grand, which seemed actually quite cheap for something of such magnitude. Dave, did you buy it? Has it gone yet? No, there's been several stages that this um, auction has gone through, obviously, as we know. Initially, when it, when it was posted on eBay, there was no description of it. There was just a lot of photographs. In fact, the description was of a Fender guitar. And then there were a load of pictures of Keith um, and Bob and the modular and, you know, his big modular. And Chris said to me, well, why have they put these pictures of Keith? And then it, when the text came on, it was purporting to be Keith's spare modular, which Chris said, well, he never really had a spare modular. And it raised this whole question of when is somebody's instrument his instrument? Now, the theory that we came up with, obviously, then Keith put out this kind of big um, statement saying that, you know, the the auction was fraudulent and they were going to try and take it down and all the rest of it. And it was taken down for a day or so. And then it was put up again. And this time it had various bits of provenance. And it's come from Keith's tech or his old tech, um, Will Alexander. Yeah, And it just raised this really fascinating question for us in that, so Chris was obviously Emerson's roadie for a while and he worked with the modular and he said it was in, it was in shit order at the time. You know, it was, it was a kind of, it was more for the kind of stage show than anything else. Yeah. But the, the, the way it worked live was that obviously you have to keep it working live. 
Yeah. So there would there would be a backup that possibly belonged to Will. And if a module went down on the road, then they would plunder Will's module, take, you know, take a module out of that and put it in the one on the road. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Will's module or Will's Moog became Keith's Moog. Ah. So it just raised this question of, you know, kind of the only Moog that Keith has is Keith's Moog. Although there may have been some parts taken out of that and then put in the Moog that you're now seeing on eBay. But technically, it's not really Keith's, although it may contain a couple of old modules from Keith. And we've seen quite a lot of um, uh, instruments for sale on eBay that are purporting to be. I think there was you know, an EMS that was supposed to be Hans Zimmer's, and he came out saying it's not. It wasn't mine, and it's not, you know, it's not correct that it's being advertised this way. So it just raised that kind of question. I thought it was quite an interesting um, topic. Really. I don't know how you would, how you would, because it, it seems like there's going to be an, there's an awful lot. I mean, because Will Alexander, as described in the Providence, there's a very long description in this eBay uh, auction, or there was, I don't know if it's still there, of how, um, you know, how nice a bloke he was, and how they got on, and how they, you know, had been he'd been really good mates with Keith. There's obviously something funny going on there. And he feel you know, but, but I don't know. It's but yeah, the provenance has been has been the the source of massive conjecture. Um, do you know what it's as now? Somebody says in the chat room, it's currently twenty five thousand dollars. Is that still yeah. quite cheap for a, a, a modular system like that? Considering it's been beautifully restored, that seems kind of cheap to me. Yeah, I mean, I'd put it around kind of thirty to thirty five thousand dollars. I mean, I have to say that you know when it was mooted that it was Keith's big real modular we were kind of like, well, this has basically got the same value as a guitar that belonged to Hendrix or Page or something like that, so it would be worth an oh. absolute fortune. Oh. Well, then why would you put it on eBay with, 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 with no reserve? I mean, just send it, do it via Christie's or something, surely, or a specialist auction. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have to say that was my thought. It was like, well, maybe we should move heaven and earth to acquire this and then auction it through a proper auctioneer. I don't know, but it's been it's you been only, interesting the steps that have gone through. You only have to click on the guy's feedback and start reading the feedback of the seller to sort of get a sense of the kind of person that this is. Right. So it's, if you click on his feedback, you can it says negative and um, and neutral feedback, and there's a little number underneath that. Right. You click on. You can see all the negative feedback on one page. And it's basically he's uh, been called some rather nasty names by a long list of people. <laughs> so, is that in uh, is I that inevitable know. when you're selling? I mean, I'm sure Peter Forrest has as well. I mean, it's just inevitable when you're dealing with vintage electronics because I mean, numerous occasions you ship the thing out and you know something happens on the way out. There's not much you can do sometimes about that sort of thing. I raised another angle as well in that, I mean, anyone who's worked for any major star, and I'm not, I'm certainly not pointing any fingers at Keith here, sometimes they don't know what day it is, let alone where their gear is. <laughs> Correct. Stored. But it was quite interesting how everybody kind of went, oh, you know, it's robbed, it's definitely stolen, it's, you know, Keith is God and, you know, it's definitely nicked and everybody else is at fault apart from Keith. And there is... That? Definitely, you know, it could be a case of, oh, I forgot that I put it there. I mean, Chris said that when Keith moved to L.A., um, his life wasn't in the best of places and he was living with Will for a while. So his stuff was kind of all over the place. I mean, I know loads of people that that's happened with. And someone somewhere is responsible for knowing where all that gear is. And sometimes things do get lost. Yeah, well, I was just um, reviewing. There's a, uh, an outtakes of uh, World, the, our Weirdest Instruments uh, series uh, where um, Andy Davis, who used to play for um, Stackeridge, you know, they were quite big in the 70s. They had a couple of Mellotrons and, uh, you know, things went all you know wrong and the manager ran off with the money and the, it was all kind of... And then all of the backline, all the instruments just sort of disappeared. He said they're probably in a shed somewhere in, in, in you know, West London and nobody knows, you know, it's either been discovered by a farmer or, you know, this, it's just one of those things because gear gets put in lockups all over the place, doesn't it? More storage between yeah. tours. I mean, there's, I don't know, Mark, you probably... You probably I've had, had exactly the same thing happen where when I first started working with Duran, they had a massive, massive storage place out in South Hall or somewhere, I think. And I went out there and there were these amazing synths in there. There was like an emulator one, brand new emulator one, never been really used. And 
uh, all these Krumar synths and Yamaha synths that they'd got given along the way, and they just didn't pay the storage fees. And we went away on tour for a year, and we came back from tour after a year, and the guy that owned the storage place got so annoyed with them and had sent them all these letters saying, basically, if you don't pay, I'm going to start selling your stuff, that he sold all of it. <laughs> and it started turning up in Denmark Street in keyboard shops. And, of course, they didn't really have a leg to stand on because they didn't pay the storage fee. And the terms of the agreement of the storage facility were that if they didn't pay, the storage facility had the right to sell their goods. And they did. And Should we add alleg- allegedly to that anywhere? or is that <laughs> Sorry? Should we add allegedly there to that anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> allegedly i've no idea i i'm i'm just telling the story as no, i know no. it and as i saw things happen no. so i i would walk into the into the uh store in denmark street and say this synthesizer actually belongs to nick Rhodes, and they'd say well can you prove that and i'd say yes and then we'd kind of go through this conversation and they said, well, we acquired it in good faith and blah, 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 blah. And mm. I don't think Nick ever got any of those back. Mm. And um, I'm sure that all he the probably, legal He probably wouldn't use them, them now, though, to be honest. You know. uh, he still uses a Jupiter 6. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I think he probably would. Well, I've I got a Jupiter 6 that was, I can sell him if, he, if it ever wakes, wears out. I don't think it was entirely down to him personally that that happened. I think that probably... Um, See, I should probably say allegedly if I start talking about <laughs> management errors or whatever. You know, something happened. And I suppose somewhere so, yeah. out there, there's a whole load of synths that people don't actually realise came from Duran. Probably mm. wouldn't realise were next synths, but they were. Well, they might have been worth more if it had actually been given provenance. I know, Gaz, are you uh, have you kind of been involved in any of this kind of business before? I mean, I'm guessing you've probably toured and had this, you know, lost bits and pieces easily done, isn't it? Yeah, and um, well, a few years ago, uh, a really good friend of mine, uh, a guy called Martin Carr, who's from a band called Boo Bradley's, he he bought a studio, Lock, Stock and Barrel, from uh, in London. Uh-huh. And then there was something where uh, the uh, the whole studio he had uh, there was something with the rent ended, and he had to get all the studio out. Uh, so. So a bunch of people did it. They weren't audio guys at all. They were uh, they just sort of, uh, they just went up there and just ripped the studio to bits and shipped it all over to Cardiff. And then um, myself and Pipe uh, Sandra yeah. went into into the studio and we uh, we had to cat- categorize everything. And it was it was amazing because it was all just. Uh, Martin didn't know what he had at all. He didn't know one thing what was in there. And we were going through it, and there was uh, what did we find in there? There was a Super Jupiter uh, with a controller. There, the rack was it the MKS eighty? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, uh, SE one. Um, there was uh, oh, there was loads of good stuff in there. Um, but Martin didn't have a clue what was in there at all. Um, Gosh, there's loads of good stuff. A couple of blackface LL eleven seventy sixes. Wow. And a mini moog, a mini moog, and the mini moog went missing. Yeah, so <laughs> we don't know what happened to the mini moog. So, um, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it is yeah. so easily done, so easily happens. Mm. Um, oh, sorry, Mark JXP just, yeah. just distracted me in the chat room by saying, "Just realised we're nearly finished, and I haven't been called on the phone." Actually. I did. I did turn it off this week. You'll be pleased to see, because <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to turn it down, so I just turned it off. <laughs> I'm beginning to get there professionally, and just to prove it, I'm going to switch cameras and wave. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, Dave, uh, has this has this ever happened to you? I mean, you've been you've been on tours all over the place, haven't you? I mean, stuff goes missing all the time, doesn't it? Oh, of course. Stuff gets, you know, nicked, borrowed, moved around, you know, lockups get moved, stuff. It does. I mean, normally, you know, you try and keep, if you're working for an artist, you try and keep an inventory of everything, but stuff does go walkabout. I mean, mm. I've, I think I've got stuff with friends all over the place. And to be honest, I haven't got a clue what half of it is now. Oh, no. I mean, after a while, it's like, oh, yeah, sure, you could borrow that. And you just think, um, where's that? I didn't uh, used to have yeah. one of those. After yeah. five years, you can't remember, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, I know it sounds really sort of pathetic, but literally, I mean, because if you're touring, you quite often have multiple rigs because you might sometimes, if you're doing big tours, you do that kind of, um, you know, that thing where you want to 
one crew goes ahead and then they set up the next show the day after and you know so you've got two sets of rigs then you've got stuff in rehearsal rooms i mean it's just easily done really easily done and maybe this is what happened with the emerson stuff and he just has no recollection because i mean let's face it he wasn't the most clean living individual yeah although i think you know this is probably like i say cobbled together from various bits and modules that have come out of his system and gone in. I mean, when you look at the modules that are actually in this unit, they don't kind of tally with it being a Moog 55. There's all sorts of strange things going on. Mm. But it just raised that question, you know, when, when is somebody's gear somebody's gear and, you know, if it belonged to him or did it belong to somebody else or is somebody just trying to make a couple of quid out of the on the strength of somebody's name? I mean, in their defence, they did come on and say, Basically, the Moog has a value of its own. We don't care whether it belonged to Emerson or not, kind of thing. Yeah, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you what you know. The bloke who looked after it is really, really good at looking after this kind of stuff. It's kind of what yeah. it came across as me. And yeah, I think what's quite what's quite funny about the the whole value of it being Keith Emerson's because for a lot of people. Uh, it being Keith Emerson's is probably the opposite of good of, of value. <laughs> you know, well, the people who probably think it has value for, for Keith Emerson's are not the sort of people who probably buy it as well. But yes, I mean, that's the other thing, I because Gaz, what you say, because I, mean, I was thinking, God, it doesn't seem very expensive. I'm just thinking, does that mean it's actually got a negative effect on the price of it, which would be awful? I mean, I'd much rather feel like at least, you know, my name was worth something than, than not than were actually worth negative equity. That would be terribly depressing. They, they, they are in this very peculiar position, Everson Lake and Palmer, of being one of the most successful bands in the world. But now the, the taste makers have virtually kind of written them completely out of history really or sort of uh you know uh, which is which is quite odd for a band who were just quite so huge um i heard of quite a funny story recently about uh when brain salad surgery came out was it 1973 um it yeah. was the yeah it was the hi-fi demonstrator's choice and there's a song uh toccata i think it's the second track on it which um it's absolutely bonkers. It's a bonkers track. And the, and that was the thing, you know, all these post-faced hi-fi dealers would be sort of showing off their latest systems with. And the, I quite like that because if, if anyone uh, hasn't heard that track, they should check it out just for... <laughs> I was incensed I was absolutely incensed with brain salad surgery <laughs> I used to buy this magazine every week I think it was either Pop Swap or something that had a flexi disc on the cover of it and every week I'd go to the news agents with my pocket money I'd buy this magazine I'd come back and I'd peel the flexi disc out of its sort of square frame and put it on my record player and listen to it. And it was always like Slade or Sweet or T-Rex or something really cool. And then this big kind of thing happened with extra pages in this magazine and this brain salad surgery thing came. And I think it even had like a, a, a sort of a cover as well, maybe. So it was like this really big thing. And I was like, wow, okay, cool. I'll buy this. And I got it home and I put it on the bloody record player and it was rubbish. <laughs> It was just horrible. <laughs> I was so annoyed. I was like, this isn't like, you know, like the 70s pop music that I really liked. It was this kind of rock kind of thing. And I was like, no, my well, the, whole the, pocket money went on that. ELP but, really represented the sort of last uh, of the big prog juggernauts that were sort of wiped away by the whole punk movement. So they've probably been, they've probably been tarred with that as the sort of, you know, guilty, sort of tarred with the guilty brush of, you know, for whatever reason. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on there. But I was all saying, I mean, when you get used to demonstrate hi-fis, isn't that kind of pretty much when it's all over? Well, <laughs> no. To bring Gaz's, uh, we Gaz's use, no. No? <laughs> no. Gaz's no. work in hi-fi stores. No. No. Okay. <laughs> no. When the B-52's first album came out, we played it. When Pink Floyd The Wall came out, we played it. When Pink okay. Floyd, uh, when Fleetwood Max, whatever that thing was called, Rumors, came out, we played it on a daily basis. These are not bands that went away. No, okay, fair enough. I was being flippant. Uh, but, and That's great cool. to always use. Yes. Yeah, yeah, sure, we use them. I, but, oh. Donald Fagan's oh. Nightfly. Oh, no. Regarding, <laughs> regarding this modular, regarding Rich, this yeah, modular thing, one of the things that speaks to the possibility that Dave's right about the way this all came about is the fact that apparently the modules all date from different years. Even like modules that are next to each other are often – one is from 72 and one is from 76 or something. So apparently right. – 
it is the product of having had things swapped in and out of it, whether they were Keith's things or not. I don't know. And as you well know by now, I don't give a damn uh, whether it was Keith. And as relates to progressive music, what happened was as the corporatization of rock and roll occurred through the mid-70s, you became penalized for having gotten big. So while Emerson, Lake, and Palmer did get less and less effective, in my view, towards the end of their uh, run, and though they had gotten huge and were playing you know, orchestra shows in arenas and touring 125 people at a time and going broke doing it, um, part of the reason included in the fact that their records got less good for their demise was because was yes the influx of punk but it was also because at that point you were penalized just for being big and not being like these new arena groups that were coming up yeah i mean and the old, sort of the old guard isn't it yeah. Thing. yeah and it wasn't just them it was king crimson and it was genesis and it was yes and it was all of those people procol harem they all kind of disappeared through the mid to late 70s for a while yeah yeah it makes sense. So it's more of a social thing, and it wasn't really specific to uh, Keith or to ELP. And ELP, at their best, were really groundbreaking, as was the nice before them. And he was the first one to do all of that. was very widely copied, particularly throughout Europe um, at the there, time. There, there was a thing in uh, in Britain, though, where uh, John Peel, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, Rich, but he's like a, he was a very yes. influential DJ in Britain. And uh, he absolutely could not stand the LP. He thought they were the sure. worst thing ever to happen to, to music. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, John Peel, I do actually, sorry, I'm really going off tangent here, but John Peel has been responsible for so much terrible music. <laughs> and he's so, yeah. he's so worshipped. He's so worshipped these days. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously he died a few years ago, which was sad, but he really did sort of usher in the kind of, um, the notion that, um, that anyone can do you know anyone you know should be able to make a record and you don't need to be able to play you just need to have an attitude and sort of uh and really the legacy of that is years and years and years and years of absolute tripe so thank you john <laughs> well i'm glad you got that off your chest i can see that's been working gnawing at you for for some time there guys 20, 25 years 25 years of hurt <laughs> <laughs> well i i think um I think um, I, I, it's now time to, to, to say goodbye to our local guests and also to our chatties. Um, but thank you very much to everybody for participating this week. I'm sorry about the, the, the problem I had with the movies, and it looks like the chat room has finally caught up. and is really, So thank you very much anyway um, to everybody in the chat room, and thank you very much to everybody live. Um, and thank you to our show sponsors, Yamaha, uh, yamahadownload.com. So I want to say thanks first to uh, Rich Hilton, who's over in Connecticut. Are you going to head into uh, work today, or is the, are the roads littered with uh, debris well i hadn't considered that part of it but i'd make it if i had to i have to do some editing today and i'm not sure if i'm going to do it here or if i'm going to do it there i have to have a conversation with them about that ah okay well have a good day no matter what it is that you do myspace.com you're welcome and uh gaz um have you managed to um i guess have you been there at um at home time i suppose school's finished doesn't it so you weren't getting a lot of looks from Dod from parents who were coming past the car <laughs> phoning the police well, it's become quite it's become quite dark and i have to say i'm actually freezing now so i'm quite pleased uh, <laughs> oh, God, I, get, I turn turn my heater on now and drive home <laughs> you put the engine on yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, Gaz, uh, we can see how how seriously you take the show. I mean, I can't believe that you've been through that just for us. We're so so privileged. Thank you very much, Gaz Williams, uh, um, uh, Gold Star. Uh, oh, no, I get it the wrong way around. Rocket Gold, uh, Rocket Gold Star. Yeah. On MySpace, yeah, and uh, we'll have a website a website up soon. I'm sure. Yes, my uh, my girlfriend again was uh, last night. Uh, she uh, she's threatened me now. With them about my website now, so she's given me she's given me an ultimatum. So, uh, uh, wow. to what the ultimatum wow. is? <laughs> That's some proactive partner get... you have there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's not the DIY. It's not the washing up. It's make your website. I like it. I like to meet that yes. girl. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> thanks very much, Gaz. Uh, much appreciated. And while we're over here, we'll say thank you to Dave Spears from G4Software.com. 
Remember to take advantage of that deal on the uh, Mposca, um, the blowout deal, 39 euros. Head over there and, and have a search on the site. We've got a coupon code, which I can't remember, but um, that's not really much help, is it? But get it cheap. What the hell have you done already? Uh, yes. So uh, g4software.com, Dave Spears. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll be hanging out at school tomorrow, weirdly enough. I'll be teaching a load of A-level students about synthesis tomorrow. Oh, wow. And uh, no, it should be quite a laugh, actually. I've been in touch with the lecturer for quite a while that you know the, the kind of real teacher and it was brilliant because he said uh, as part of their a-level uh, studies they're asked to recreate a couple of tracks as a madonna song and a larue song okay. so he said it would be great if you could come and talk to him about synthesis so i went back saying uh so just so i'm on the kind of uh just so i know what's what what do they know do they understand about waveforms and you know square waves being hollow and this that and the other and uh, he kind of came back going uh, this is fantastic information dave and i thought brilliant tomorrow's going to be easy then okay good luck <laughs> what synth cool. are you taking i'm taking the ob8 and the minimoog ah good man well good luck and uh, have fun with it. Look forward to hearing how that went. And also, Mark Tinley, like, um, like being, thank you very much for joining us as well this week. Um, always nice to have you. You're very welcome. I enjoyed that. Very good. good. And uh, not long to go now until you shave your moustache off. Uh, please head over to likebeing.com and donate to Mark's, um, for Mark's discomfort. He's doing it for charity. I am doing it for charity, and please oh, yeah. do donate because it's driving me insane. <laughs> Excellent. Well, <laughs> it seems around this this particular point in time. I mean, I sometimes won't bother shaving for a while because I just sort of forget. And it seems around this point in time that it just becomes so unbearable that I usually shave it off. But I'm sort of I'm, yeah, uh, I'm going to try and break through the barrier. I'm actually at that stage because I've been staying at, uh, at my parents-in-law because uh, obviously David, my father-in-law's, uh, just come out of hospital. He's doing fine, by the way. But I forgot okay. to take a razor, and I, I'm beginning to get. Very itchy. <laughs> that was the sound of my, my beard on the wind guard. Anyway, um, that's a good, I think beard on the wind guard might be a good title for this show. Or, yeah, that's or, a good one. Yeah. Or perhaps gnawing, gnawing at you for 25 years, perhaps, Gaz. Anyway, thank you very much. That was Sonic Talk number 197. Uh, very much appreciate your um, being with us this week. Remember, join us in the chat room. Uh, we do this every week, Wednesday, 4 p.m. UK time, sonicstate.com forward slash live.